It's that time. No, that's right. Because you are tuned in, you have now positioned yourself to become undeniable in your pursuit of personal, professional, and spiritual excellence. Now, I hope you are pursuing excellence, but if you are not making an impact with your life, then you have come to the right place today. Welcome to this Tough Conversations episode of Become Undeniable. I am your new favorite host, Brad Austin, killing it on the mic, and as always, keeping it real no matter whose feelings it hurts, while providing undeniable value to you every step of the way. Whew, man. One conversation. I believe that we are just one conversation away from being unified. But in my opinion, one of the biggest problems I see is that there are barriers that we allow to block those conversations from ever happening. What are those things? All right. Is it political division? Is it racial division? Is it presumptive differences? I don't know. That's for you to decide when you look within yourself. But most of the time, these barriers exist because, quite frankly, in my opinion, again, they are part of an agenda, right? Perpetuated by people who have absolutely do not have our best interests in mind. But we are not going to shy away from tough conversations, not on this show. We don't have to agree on everything to agree on the important things. And what's important is that both sides, when you're having conversation, both sides need to be open-minded enough to engage, open-eared enough to actually listen, and make the effort to try to understand the other side. Man, make a real effort, a real effort, a genuine effort, an authentic effort, because open discussions lead to better understanding, right? which is why I'm excited to have this tough conversation with my special guest today, Mr. Mike Wilson. Mike is a professor of psychology at Western Oregon University, and he's a lot more than that. You're about to find out. But let's go ahead and welcome him. Mike, how are you, sir? Hey, doing all right, brother. I love I love that intro. It's, there's so much energy and passion in that. <laughs> I'm just being me, man. Yeah, I know, yeah. I feel, I, that was a great pump up. Like I feel like I'm ready to go like to war or... Uh... Yes. Scale a mountain, man. I love it. That's great enthusiasm. Oh, man. I like to try to set the tone because you know what? We're going to be talking about important things. We're going to be trying to scale that mountain of providing undeniable value to the listeners that are going to hear this, man. So let's get started with it. All right. I'm just going to dive right in, bro. I, I, I think people are going to get to know you and we're going to just have a blast. So, Mike, here here's the deal. As as someone who um, as someone who works as a corporate wellness coordinator and a mental f- performance coach, which is what what you also do, I'm curious about your take on the the state of mental health in American society, but from both an individual and corporate level standpoint. Man, what are your thoughts on both sides? Well, I have a lot of thoughts on both sides. And we have time. And we, and we have time, <laughs> and I may throw a third or four um, player in that equation. So, to start off, though, first, you know, as a professor of psychology and as a mental performance coach and as a corporate wellness coordinator, 
I face the subject of mental health on a daily basis, and I'm also paid to work in the field of mental health. So I have I have a inherent affinity for what I would essentially say is the human experience. Um, you know, we all have we all have a lot of things in common, but one of those things that we have in common, regardless of the color of your skin or regardless of you know who you vote for, is we all got minds. We all have brains. We all have a psychology. Which means, which is to say that we all have a particular way of viewing the world and we all have a particular way in how we interpret and internalize that world, which informs the types of decisions we make, whether that's economic, political, social. And what's what's the most important um, part, I think, of this conversation is to highlight the lack of access to mental health care and services, especially in the United States of America. You know, right now, uh, you know, there's over half of the American population is seeking help. Um, and even higher numbers than that say that they, if they could have the ability to access it, that they would. But there's a couple of barriers to that when you talk about barriers in this podcast of being undeniable. And, you know, some of those barriers are the cost of health insurance and coverage. And really, really what I see is the lack of social support and social systems to empower our fellow citizens, our fellow brothers and sisters to get the help that they need. The question isn't the, the question isn't if people want the help. That, that that question has been answered in the affirmative above and beyond what it needs to be. The question is, is how are we going to make it accessible to everybody? And so I think that's where we're, we're going to kind of get into that today because that has political, you know, ramifications that we're talking about legislative measures now um, on a national level, not just at the state level, you know. And so, yeah, there's a lot of examples right now. I could, you know, you can pull from from any corner of the country, um, you know, from from preventing uh, medical care to the LGBTQ plus community to um, the mental health crisis issue of people of color communities um, everywhere to like, I, I bet you didn't know this. Did you know what the highest, what, what job occupation in the United States of America has the highest rates of suicide? Do you, do you, have, do you want to take I, that? I personally do not know. Construction workers. Wow. Now that's Okay. I, I will admit to being a bit surprised there. I was very surprised when I heard that. I just, I just learned <laughs> that recently. I just learned that earlier this fall um, from a dear, a dear friend of mine who, who's a big, uh, who's a big influence in the construction community up here in, in uh, the Pacific Northwest by the name of Mike Miato. Uh, and he brought that, he brought that issue to my attention. And for me, I was, I was very surprised. That would not have been my, mm-hmm. I would say even top 10. Uh, occupations that I would have put in there. So that begs the question, why? That begs the question, why? You know, in 2020, there were 45,000 suicides. And it is the number one, number one killer of men over the age of 18 to 45. It's the number one killer. It's, it's a, it's, its own pandemic. Forget Corona. Suicide is a pandemic. Suicide is a national health crisis. But what are we doing about it? Not a lot. <laughs> in fact, in fact, we're retracting right. some of those services and, and creating creating even more barriers to where healthcare now is more of a status symbol. It's more of an elite 
type of type of service that people could have. Uh, meanwhile, you know, there's people in the in the black community that are really advocating, um, like Cornell West, are really advocating for for there to be the bare minimums, like healthcare and education, should be provided for um, by the state. And so that that you know, again, that has to go into the political side of things, and you can't remove that from the conversation, unfortunately, um, as uncomfortable as that gets. So. Yeah, I think that's a long-winded answer for you, but there's a lot you're going to pull from that, I think. Um, but, yeah. but I mean, the the idea is that mental health is is not mutually exclusive from your daily living. Even in our conversation right now, we're going to be talking about things like truth and and idealism. We're going to be talk, talking about right and wrong. We're going to be talking about um, you know reality versus illusion. And that's because we're human beings. And the moment we try to separate the external and the external um, relationship and exchange in our lives, we're, we're going to always see the human as a means to an end. And when you see a human as a means to an end, you're not worried about their education level. You're not worried about their, uh, uh, their, their diet and health and wellness. You're not worried about the communities that they live in, whether they're unsafe or developed or what kind of technologies are available to assist them in better and enrich their lives. That doesn't matter. When you see the human being as a means to an end, as does capitalism, for example, predatory capitalism specifically, you're not caring about these things. You're not offering your, your employees who are doing the work for you the best healthcare possible so they can be happy and fulfilled in their line of work. So that's, that's a big one right there. Um, but all to say, all to say, yeah, it's, it's a conversation that, you know, I've worked all over the world. I've worked in Africa. I've worked in South America. I've worked in Europe. And it's a conversation homogeneously presented across the globe that people are saying like this isn't right like the way the way i i feel about myself and the way i think about myself and and how i relate and connect to other people on this planet on the one chance i get here this isn't good enough we're being taken from and not being given much back Uh, so i think there's a lot to to be said there but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know what uh, what you're going to throw at me from uh, from my very long winded response. No, no, that's that's the point of this conversation is is to give you the opportunity to to get it all out there, and and I appreciate you doing that because it does spark some questions, and one of them which maybe you have answers to, maybe you mm-hmm. don't. Um, but you know, and again, here I want to I want to try to limit uh, this part of it because as we branch off to get into other okay. things, but. Um, and I'm, there's probably no short answer. That's the problem. I'll try. <laughs> right? I'll try. So, okay. But um, now, you know, we take, we can definitely take examples of other systems in other places as a, a precedent at, to what would occur should we try that here in the U.S., mm. right? I, I, and... You know, we, we talk about Cornell West advocating for, for free health care or, or government paid or whatever else. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'll be honest with you, I'm I really don't want any part of that system um, because you see in Canada, you see in the UK, you see the lack of empathy for for people of a certain age because they you're 80 years old. You don't need that hip replacement to live out 10, 15 more years, five more years. Right. 
I, I just I just don't see I don't see where the caring is in that kind of system mm-hmm. or having to wait six six months or eight months for an MRI. You know, I have people that live in Canada. I, I talk to them. I, you know, they tell me. Um, so while I don't, I, I don't want to go there. My question for you is, are there solutions? And again, coming from somebody that you're speaking to that I believe this, I believe our healthcare, healthcare system here in the U.S. Mm. really needs an overhaul. Mm. I mean, this, that's, that's a couple of shows in a row to talk about mm. that, right? Mm. I, I agree. I believe that. I don't want to go to the socialized thing side of things, but what, in your opinion, would be an in between that would really provide more access and provide a system that is more affordable that gives people the care they need? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll first say, just as a disclaimer, I am not a public health official. I'm not speaking on behalf of anybody or representing. Um, a certain field or, or medical board or whatever um, when it comes to that. Yeah. So, but, for, but, but you're, you're a smart guy. That's all, that's all we need well, here. <laughs> yeah. Well, the way, the, the first thing, the first thing out of the gate is the, the lack of awareness of mental health and what mental health actually means. And you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's going to be a myriad definitions of mental health that's that um, researchers and, and doctors will agree on, but loosely, loosely speaking, the idea of mental health is that someone feels good about themselves, that someone has access to food, that someone has access to clean water, that someone has some type of gainful employment or an opportunity to have gainful employment. Um, and then how this manifests in the psychology of a person. So essentially, essentially, it's it's the way somebody exists within a community and how that person contributes to the community. And when it comes to this idea of healthcare, the lack of awareness of, of what constitutes as healthcare, counseling constitutes as healthcare. Uh, and there's all types of counseling services from EMDR therapy, talk therapy, um, traditional counseling um, centers. So there's a lot of ways to go about that, but it's the lack of awareness to, to, that is preventing people from even knowing that part of their issues and part of the, the health related issues that they are experiencing in their lives fall under the field of mental health and they can get treatment for that. Um, you're talking about trauma, you're talking about abuse, uh, you're talking about um, identity and things like that. So the first thing is the awareness. Uh, you know, when you talk about if you break a bone, right, you know exactly where you need to go and who you need to seek and, and, and consult with, yeah. right? Like that's a very straightforward model, right? But when you right. talk about so someone that's depressed and can't even get out of their own house, they'd have no idea who necessarily to go to, especially when you're talking about a certain demographic with a certain level of education. You know, someone that is, I think, maybe higher in the class system, they have more exposure to what what types of services address their needs. Whereas you're talking to lower lower income communities, lower income based societies, they don't necessarily know that. And to extend that, the access to it. You know, if you don't if you don't own a vehicle and you're relying on public transportation, your world is a lot different in terms of the things you can do and and reasonably manage within a day. If you're relying on bus systems, which still cost money, and if you're not even able to sure. do that, which again, this is speaking to the demographic 
that would be the ones uneducated about what mental health is and how it can be addressed in their lives. It's part and parcel. So when you add in all those factors, someone has to go across town and they don't have a vehicle or access to transportation. How are they even going to get that help in the first place? So it doesn't even matter if they're educated on it or not. How are they going to get to it? Uh, and then same thing with people that are working two time two two jobs at minimum wage. I mean, people people are working twice as hard right now with half the wages. And when your life is focused around working, how are you going to get days off to go do take a half a day to go get the treatment and things you need when you're when you're trying to feed mouths and when you're trying to keep a roof over your head? So that's so that's what I say. You know, that's what I would say in a roundabout way is the the lack of awareness and then additionally the access. So, you know, you brought up in other parts of the world, you know, that have that universal health care and these long wait times and all of that. And right now with the colleagues I work with, some of them are licensed therapists. Some of them are clinicians, psychiatrists. They're already booking out six to eight months. They're already doing mm -hmm. that. And at that, that person is going to have to pay an absurd amount of money just to see them. And then we have to wait another six to eight months to see them again. And I also have other other therapists that they are not taking on any more clients right now when people are, are you know, there's our industries falling left and right of us. And with their treatments and what their services provide, they still, regardless of the insurance, ha are booking people six to eight months out. So that says a lot already. And I'm glad you brought up that mm -hmm. there needs to be an overhaul of our healthcare system as it is. And part of that, though, is creating that accessibility where there are maybe more offices and clinics um, and centers within certain communities rather than having them consolidated uh, under one roof in a central location. So having that access, um, you know, we want to see that even in businesses, big businesses, you know, you can have you can have an employee or a staff member that has uh, licensing in, in mental health um, services. And you can have that under your roof. So employees now who are having to go from home to picking up kids from school to doing other appointments and all that stuff, and one more list of things to do, having to go across town and sit in traffic, you can have those resources on site at your work. So you can go to work a little bit earlier, you can stay a little bit longer, but that all comes from the top and from the management. There has to be support and that there has to be a, a, a transparent value of mental health, of keeping people healthy. Right. Um, so that comes from the top. And I'd have a lot of intersection with CEOs and, and high profile, um, high performance teams, uh, leadership teams. And, you know, not everybody learns the healthy coping skills to get through this life. Some people do. Um, and some people learn coping skills that aren't so healthy, but it still allows them to perform their daily routine and their daily responsibilities. Now, that's the exception, not the rule. So there's a large uh, demographic out there that unfortunately have to use um, self-medicating uh, measures like, you know, smoking, substance abuse, alcohol um, to get through there, to get through, get through their life, really. Whereas you see some of these high, high performers that have started big businesses or have successful companies, they had they had learned some coping mechanisms again. Some of those might be unhealthy. Some of them might be healthy, but that's the exception, not the rule. So to say that, why, you know, to say something like, oh, why can't they figure it out? Or, oh, I, I got through X, Y, and Z, you know, in struggle in my life or adversity in my life. Why can't other people figure it out? Well, 
you know, that's a, that's a complicated question, but that's not the point. The point is that there needs to be right. services available for the people that can't. <laughs> that's the point, bottom right. line. So, yeah, so here's, you know, I'm going to sidestep in a couple of ways real quick and we'll come back. But just, you said, you just said something that, that, that got me to thinking about something. And you said, there are people out there who ask, well, I got through this and that in my life. I, I pushed through, why can't they do it, right? And you're right. That is a that is a very fluid question, a very complicated question that there is no one or hundred answers to. <laughs> right. First of all, chances are there was a that was a different time. Right. Things are different now, more difficult in many ways. Um, but let's also talk about, you know, I'm going to use myself as an example here. I have no problem doing that. Right. I, for a very long time, was an irresponsible dude. I didn't, I was not responsible with money. I was not responsible with my, myself in any way. I was just, you know, I, I was like, not, not as bad of a screw up as other people, but there was lots of instability. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and why didn't I just get through it? Because I really didn't know any better. And it stems from your upbringing. Did you have both parents in the home? Did you have a solid foundation? Did you have someone to teach you that how to handle money, how to, why education is important, why credit's important, why fill in the blank, right? Mm-hmm. And and the reason that was that way with me was, you know, again, I had some trauma as a kid, right? And again, my mom and I have a great relationship now and everything's fine as can be, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, was a, I was totally just abandoned as a child when wow. I was three, four years old. Wow. I mean, just she was into drugs and alcohol. She just had big problems. And one night she was there, the next day she was gone. I didn't see her for 25 years. Wow. So wow. you see what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that traumatizes a kid that actually abandonment issues. And then you start latching on to other things that are unhealthy, like you just talked about a while ago, mm-hmm. right? For those reasons. So for someone I've learned, because honestly, Mike, I'll be straight up, mm-hmm. straight up honest with you. I used to be that guy. Mm-hmm. I would, I would say, Hey, I got through this and that and the other. Why can't they do mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll admit it. Yeah. But now I've 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 learned looking back on my journey that their journey was not my journey. Their journey is a different journey with different challenges mm-hmm. and different obstacles mm-hmm. and different actions and re- you know what yeah. I'm saying. It was a totally different road yeah. for them. So I cannot compare apples to apples to them and just throw it, just blanket cover everybody. Mm-hmm with one thing and say, why can't you do it? It took a lot for me to get, to get through. Yeah. It took a lot, bro. It took, yeah. I, I mean, it, you know, it, it more than I have time to talk about. So that's, that's one thing. But another thing is I, I just have to ask you as an aside, as an aside, bro, what, like, what's the story behind like why you became so passionate about mental health? <laughs> There's, there's, I feel like there's something there. <laughs> yeah, see, see, that's a, that's a real radio host right there. The perceptiveness, that's what all, that's what all, uh, uh, yeah, radio hosts and, and interviewers need to have, man. Um, <laughs> oh, you're very kind, bro. I appreciate that. I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I have, I have an affinity for, for mental health. I, I would say if I had to put it on anything due to my own experience in life and on my own pursuit of trying to figure out why we're here and and what we're doing here and what all this means. And, you know, being especially a man of color in the United States, 
what that also means for my life and my reality and what type of, of adversity and challenges that I've had to go through and, and having a, a very, I mean, I don't know if it's probably a little presumptuous for me to say it, but I would like to think that I have a very, very wide capacity for empathy and putting myself in other people's shoes and trying to be relatable. Um, because to me, this life is very precious. I've only got one shot at it and that's it. to see the way, to see the way that we behave and the way we treat each other. It's just, it's, 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 it's awful. It's depressing. depressing. Isn't it? It's depressing. Man. It's depressing. And, bro. And, 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 <laughs> I think, and I think what really, what really, um, what really, hurts in saying something like that is the fact that we have the means to not do this to ourselves and do this stuff to one another. Uh, and I think that mental health is that intersection that I can have with people um, in just figuring out who they are and, and, and what they feel like it means to be them on this earth and what, what their dreams and aspirations are and, and all of that. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of my experience. You know, I was adopted um, as, a, as a child, mm. I was adopted from birth and, uh, my adoption story is, is, you know, it's implicated in, in everything I do and in part of my identity and, um, you know, having, yeah, having some space for that, I think in my, in my heart that um, people have a really tough life. Some people have a really tough life and I was fortunate by none other than being born on this side of the planet and I did nothing to deserve that. I did nothing to deserve that. And, um, you know, I, I think it comes back to this, the right idea of not something as platitudical as, as saying, you know, you know, steward your privilege and, and all of that stuff, your social responsibility. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that, that cynical, but, you know, at the, at the same time, I do feel like what you have, you know, you do have a responsibility to what you do with that. I think you, I think you can measure somebody. And, and, and get a gauge of someone's character by what they choose to do with their time and their money. Um, you know, and I, that doesn't have to be a negative, cr- critical, um, condemning point of view, but just objectively, like, you know, we the more that you look at this, privilege is a resource, okay? Privilege is a resource. The more that you have, the more that I have, that means the less many other people have. Because the way our system is set up is an idea of perpetual growth, right? It's, it's, it's nonstop growth. And that's not sustainable. And we know that now. We know that now. But how does that play into the psychology of our communities? And how does that play cross-culturally when we're now so interrelated because of globalization? Everyone affects everybody. We, it's not like we have to try to realize this ideal of being your brother's keeper because now literally we are our brother's keeper whether that's through the stock market whether that's through our technology whether that's through our sport you know the world cup's going on right now it's touching every corner of the world every language every every skin color and and you have to look at like okay what's the responsibility of that is it just sport is it is it just sport or is it something more is it is it something more is it a virtue is it something that can change, you know, geopolitic, uh, geopolitics? Is it something that can have a hand in that? Is it something that can hand to have uh, have a hand in, in fighting for people's human rights? I mean, 
really big question, really I mean, big stuff. But that's but I think that's where we got to go with it. And for me, yeah, seeing seeing the sanctity, if you want to use that word, the sanctity of human life. Um, I just feel like for me, mental health is what I what makes sense to me and is my tool to to yeah spread the message make change you know, yeah. be an influencer however you want to view it but yeah that's 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 probably what i would have to you know pin it on um you know i'm not Man, <laughs> i i'm sorry bro i i just i hope you know i i i hope that um i don't know i would hope that that i wish i should say i wish i wish that some of these larger organizations would would actually take that advice mm. that you just provided right mm. what are what are they using their worldwide platform for is it just the game mm. right mm. is it really just who gets the nice shiny cup at the end and then you, we don't hear about it for another year you know what uh, i mean like is is there not more that can be done and i get so i get upset um when i see people, organizations with such really influential platforms mm -hmm. that, that could, and the, what they could be achieving with mm -hmm. it and what they're not and what they're, it, I mean, Hey, they're making money. Good. I mean, good for them. Mm -hmm. Is that it? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. What else can you be doing? What did I say at the beginning? If you are not making an impact with your life, then in my opinion, you're doing something wrong, mm -hmm. right? What are you doing? You have this platform, you have this wealth, you have this influence, you have all of this. And and what good is coming out of mm -hmm. it besides your own self gain? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, when I when I worked with, you know, CEOs and, and you know leadership teams in the business world, I I put it like this, you know, to be human, right? We need air to breathe, right? So air is air is pretty important for being a human being. But because we are dependent on air, does that mean that air is the meaning of life? No. No. And so, I, so what I, how I translate that to the business world is businesses need to make money. But is money what the business is about or is it about the people that make the money? Right. And, it's not really and, and, or, and the value you provide to you, yeah. the other people. Yeah. yeah. You right. see, it's symbiotic. It's symbiotic. It's symbiotic. Right. We, we cannot... We, we've, we've fallen into this, this fallacy that we can, we can compartmentalize people and their value from product or from results. And we can't, and from the sporting world, you know, a lot of my conversation with coaches at the highest level to the lowest level is, is you have to, you, you, you have to be able to separate the criticism of the performance versus the criticism of the player. And that, that goes for everywhere in life, even for parents, I think for their children is, is we get, we get, it's a very fuzzy line at already, but we have to really take a step back and say, all right, is what I'm doing is, is this criticizing the, the personal value of somebody or, or am I trying to focus on just their performance or their, their their outcome and working backwards from that um you know and so yeah you see you see the responsibility and all the opportunity of something as as immaterial as upward social mobility the fact that you and i know that if we wanted to climb the ladder so to speak 
we have a lot more resources to make that reality more likely to happen. But that is rare. That is Western world. That is elitism. That is imperialism. That is a whole bunch of things that you and I personally had nothing to do with, but we're a part of that system. All right. And when you look at people, you know, from lower income countries or living in abject poverty, that is their life, period, full stop, whether they were born into it or forced into it because of the, the industry. That is your life. You're, you do not have the privilege of thinking a week out from now, a year out from now. You, the, the future is a privilege even to think about they, that you, you are you are condemned to waking up every day hungry, you're condemned to going to sleep every night hungry and thirsty, you are condemned to having no hope, you are condemned to feeling like you have no meaning in this world. So right there, you are having a very low self-esteem, you are depressed, uh, not just not just in the emotional sense of depressed, but you are chemically, clinically depressed, meaning the change, the changes in your brain are being effective by depression. That means a, a, a lack of serotonin is being uh, distributed um, through your through your neural synapses. That means that you're not getting enough sleep and the sleep you do get is very poor. So what I always challenge people to do is if you really want to know, if we really want to put ourselves in, in other people's shoes and have a have a have some sort of, some semblance of, of sympathy with them, Try to go through your life dehydrated and hungry and without being able to wash and manicure yourself um, and go out and try to find a job. Go do that. Go see how long you can keep that job and see what level of performance you have. Because the lack of nutrition, the dehydration, that all affects our psychology. It's, a, it's, it's, it's proven above and beyond with science, with empirical evidence. It is, sub, a, su, it is supported that the lack of water in your body, I mean, that affects about the, how your blood flows. Um, without food, that means you're stressing your heart more, which means you're more likely to fall victim to something like heart disease, uh, stroke. Um, and and when, we thought, when we talk about how diet affects your mood, um, you know, try to get out of bed every day and try to feel good about yourself. Like today, today is going to be it all changes. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you. Yeah, it's right. not that day. Um, and so when we talk about, again, this bigger picture of what access to resources do you have? What amount of privilege do you have and what are you doing to use it? Um, I'm going to add this one to you with, with the quote that you do in your introduction to the, to the podcast is if you're not, if you're not a leader, you're a follower, right? And also by not doing something that's doing something, <laughs> right? So when people, my following, right. So when people yeah. say like, oh yeah, I'm neutral. Well, Neutral actually hurts one side of the argument, and that's the oppressed side. Neutral only helps the 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 aggressor, the oppressor. Mm. Being neutral only hurts the oppressed. So when people say I'm neutral or I don't have a stake in this fight, well, yeah, by you not being involved, being 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 an advocate, you're you're being a complicit adversary. Does that make sense? So yeah. So the, yeah, I've I've heard that. Yeah. So there's that whole side to it, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's it's the it's the access to these resources where people can be healthy, where people can have the education, 
to be empowered, to have an opportunity at life. So when we talk about these transformative, you know, socioeconomic structures and, and legislations, it's not, it doesn't have to be this, this going to the other side, going to the very end and, and thinking our whole world is going to change and everything I've worked for is going to be compromised and I'm going to share. It's not even that. It's something much more menial than that. And just of let's help people at least get the opportunity to have a chance at life and have a, have a chance, have a stake, you know, in the game. Let's just start there and see how that affects our economy. Because if you're make, if you're, if you're, everybody is wealthier when everybody has, has equality. When there's not equality, that means there's less people up here and more people down here. That's the only way inequality works. It's not that it's split down the middle and, and somehow you're unequal. No, equal, unequality only happens in the shape of a pyramid. And so if we can try to get the width of that base of the pyramid more and more narrow, yeah, let's see how we all enjoy life. It might be a good time. Who knows? Yeah, man, I'm, I am, I'm definitely, um, definitely a proponent for, for equal opportunity for sure. I mean, you can't, and again, this is getting off track a little bit, but I mean, you, you can't, obviously you can't make people by the nature of things, not everyone will be, end up being successful given the same opportunities. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But one of the reasons, as an example, why we see so many people from other countries come to America and be very successful mm -hmm. is because they were in similar circumstance that you just described. And then they got the opportunity and they seized the hell out of it. Absolutely. They Absolutely. seized the hell out mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Whereas someone who's lived in America their whole life, whole lives. Mm -hmm had every opportunity in the world, had the opportunity to create opportunity should they desire to do mm -hmm. so, right? Mm -hmm. And they still never did anything with it, you know? Yeah. So yeah. No, migrant, migrant workers are responsible for most of, I'm not going to say most, but a lot of the industries that, are, that have uh, been birthed in North America came from migrants or children of migrants um, because hmm. of that, that, because of how you just laid that out. They, they have... One of the metaphors that I use is the classroom metaphor when I describe socioeconomic inequality. Okay, so this classroom metaphor, all right, you're going to love it, is think of the setup of a classroom, a traditional classroom. You have your rows set up right from front to back, all right? Up front's the teacher with the whiteboard or chalkboard, whatever, all right? You have the teacher up there. The teacher is your, is your um, let's just make them un unremarkable for now, but let's look at your front row. Who sits in the front row of that classroom? The people who sit in the front row of that classroom are white-skinned, blonde-haired, and blue-eyed, and male, and male, okay? Who sits in the second row of that classroom? Maybe white-skinned, still male, and dark, dark any, any color of hair and eye color, all right? Now let's go to the third row. The third row is still a, a, a white male, uh, maybe... Uh, uh, more on the spectrum in terms of intelligence, but it's still a white male. That's the third row. Okay, let's get to the fourth row. Fourth row is now going to be your your um, white skinned, blonde haired, blue eyed female. Okay, and then the same process goes backwards from that, all the way to the back of the classroom. The last row of the classroom is going to be your person of color, 
uh, transgender disabled person. Okay, just for the sake of this example. All right. Meaning what this means is that design of the classroom represents the point of view of our world. So that means that the front row, they're just looking right at the at the teacher. They're getting all the information. They're right there in the front row. They're not concerned with anything that's behind them, with the lived realities that's behind them. All right. Then you go to the second row. They see like, okay, so there's some people that have more of an advantage in front of me. And then third row sees, okay, there's a larger group of people that have an advantage over me. And so I have a little bit different, a, a wider aperture of the way the world works. And you keep that going all the way back to what I said, your person of color, transgender, disabled, or, or, or um, uh, uh, physically um, uh, restricted in whatever way that looks like. And their aperture of the world and their understanding of the way things work is, is the widest point of view. They understand. They see how the system works. Um, and so when you talk about migrant families um, coming here and or, or going to Europe, wherever, and the way that they seize those those uh, opportunities is because they know they have a wider aperture than what, you know, um, your average American, white American knows um, about the way the world works. And they see how how precious the access to resources are. I mean, you can walk into a library and study whatever subject you want on your own free time. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like that. So yeah, I think that's a point, important thing to keep in mind um, is that our view of the world isn't the only view of the world. And, and I mean, you know, if you want to bring it around, the one thing that we have in common, I mean, do you have a private jet? Do you got a private jet? Do you fly around on a private jet? Do you got a yacht somewhere? I do not. Okay. Are you, are you spending like a hundred dollars on your dinner every night? I am not. Neither am I. So guess what? You and I already have more in common than we do with the people above us. And that's one of the, yes. things, and that's one of the things that Martin Luther King Jr., our, our, our uncrowned king of the, of the black community, our uncrowned king, that's what he was advocating for the eve of his assassination. He, was, he had just started and was using that platform to launch his new poor people's campaign in which the poor white, the poor yellow, the poor red, the poor black, the poor pink, purple, green, blue, we're all going to march on Washington. That's what he was. He was assassinated the next day. And so let's just keep that in mind of what is it we're really trying to do here? Um, Because like I said, I don't think anything is just anything, but that's my own personal view. I don't think sport can ever. Mike, Mike, (laughs) come on, bro. Mike. Stop, stop, stop. I mean, that when 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 Dr. King was assassinated, that was just coincidence. Yeah, right. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, right. That was just pure coincidence out of the blue. Come on. <laughs> that's right. That's, I think, Are we, we, we're not going to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's what I'm here for. I'm a good host, right? I mean, uh, before you know it, we're going to be pulling out our tinfoil hats. Yeah, I know. I know. Please. <laughs> Oh man! So, Mike, I, I I just want to confirm you're black, right? I am. I'm. I am. I am a white European uh, West African. <laughs> I thought you'd get a laugh out of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well, yeah. If anyone's not watching the camera or whatever, but you're trying to go by my voice, they might get the wrong idea. They might think I'm just talking out of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. I'm so very much. 
What's Let's... interesting about that dichotomy, I'll just give you a plug right here, is what's interesting about that dichotomy Uh-oh. being biracial is that I have the education, where I grew up, I have the education of a, I would say the upper, upper middle class, lower upper class, um, uh, white education. But yet, the color of my skin and the way my phenotypes are constructed, my whole life I've been treated as a person of color. Even though I have the same education, even though I have the same skills, if not even better skills than my peers, I've always been seconds in life, but still not third or fourth because there's people behind me in this social line. So I'm not disillusioned. I'm not, you know, falling into self-deception about that. But it's funny that you bring it up because you see the way I look. But if you want to look at my resume, you would think Mike Wilson is a white male American man. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know you were mixed. Just, yes, yes, so I mixed. Yeah, yeah. Greece, Greek from my mother's side, Greek Hungarian from my mom's side and, and West African. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Um, So as we start to, yeah, here we go. Um, As we start to kind of wind down the conversation, it's about to pick back up. And so, like I said, man, we are, we, we don't shy away from tough conversations on this show. And um, I'm just going to throw it out there, man. You know, this is, again, this is a conversation that, um, I'm actually curious about your answer. Um, And this is a conversation that most people, let's be honest, most white people won't ever ask. All right. But first let me ask and follow up and then I'll let you talk. So, so what's, I'm going to ask you what your take is on modern black culture in American society today. Mm. All right. Now I personally believe that, as we are all humans, we all, like you said, we all have brains, we all have psyches, we also all observe, right? We all have observational capacity, right? And so my opinion is that you don't have to be black to have a conversation about it, all right? And the difference in this conversation versus potentially others is the fact that where I'm coming from with it is from a place of wanting to empower people, right? not to criticize. Mm. All right. Because to be again, another moment of pure honesty here, I've been, I've been waiting for a guest to come along to have have this conversation. I've been waiting for it. So my, as a, as someone whose brother-in-law is black, Mm. um, he and I are going to have this conversation as well at some point, probably January or so. But, um, as someone whose sister is half black, as someone whose wife is part black. Um, I, not for those reasons, but for other reasons, I have a special place in my heart for the black community. Mm. All right. Now that's not, that's not pandering because Brad don't pander. If anybody, I don't pander to nobody for nothing, but this is the truth, man. This is, and it started at a young age when I was, I had moved back to Louisiana I was going to middle school and, you know, in middle school, you start to see the clicks form, mm-hmm. right? And then in high school, you do have the clicks. And before anyone else, it wasn't, um, it wasn't the white kids. It wasn't the rockers. It wasn't the, the rich kids. It wasn't anybody else. Mm-hmm. It was the black kids mm-hmm. that actually opened their arms to me mm-hmm. and, and let me in as a friend wow. with no questions asked. 
And I, I had glasses. I was a little geeky. Uh, you know what I mean? It was, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, you know, not everybody fully embraced yeah. me, but as a whole, it was the black kids that, that I could tell were okay with me coming into their circle because I did. And there was no consequence. There was no shunning. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So this is, um, I, I think I'll shut up now, but like I said, the reason I'm doing this and I'm going to continue to do it with other people is because bro, like I, I see, and I don't know how much, I don't even know if we have enough time. Hmm for this we might have to do a part two would be awesome man you know what i'm yeah. saying so we're getting into systems and, and all this other yeah. stuff but help tell me what your thought is about black culture in american society today well we're hurting we're hurting as a community we're hurting there's a couple of reasons mm. for that we're hurting we're hurting economically we are hurting yep. we are hurting emotionally we are hurting um culturally, we are hurting hmm. politically. And I think those are the subjects we should come back on a, on a, on a, on the second episode, because each one of those has profound impacts and implications. But the reason, the reason why I say hurting is because our, our heritage, our legacy comes from such a disastrous place in history that has still, still yet to be reconciled. It's the reason, some of the reason that you could add into the conversation of why the black community is hurting. One of those reasons you could throw in there is because we have not still had some closure with our, with our um, social con consciousness, with our, with our historical consciousness um, as the black community. And even now, even now, the conversation when we talk about slavery, when we were talking about chattel slavery, even that is being now for, removed from the conversation in, a, in educational institutions. And the fact that we have not been recognized, like one, one thing, one thing that we try to say is that black faces in high places, that doesn't fix anything. And it's, it proves time and time again that just because you see the the exception of a successful person of color, um, that means that like that represents that that symbolizes that you know we have opportunity and that all things are equal. Um, but it's it's almost transgressed. It has transgressed. We're seeing segregation in schools again, um, and not not. Not literally, not literally, but, we, but schools and education opportunities are segregated by geography. You know, I don't have to tell you which side of the tracks the colored folks live in whatever town you want to go to in Louisiana or in Florida. You know exactly where the colored people live. <laughs> it's not, you don't see an intermingling. Well, you know, like it's. It's a, it's a bit harder down here in South Florida, bro. Oh, we we all Florida. get along yeah, and everybody's right, connected. Right, you know, right, so right, right. it's, it's, it's a little different yeah, here. Yeah, no, no, that's true. That's true. Uh, no, that's true. Um, uh, but the idea, you know, is just that, um, you know, the civil rights movement was great for us. It was a great moment in time for the world. Um, a lot of good came out of it, but really how did that translate in terms of the health of the black community? We, Think about this. Think about this. Think about the legacy that runs through our, our historical consciousness. 
when the Emancipation Pro Proclamation was created, when that was implemented, all right, we know Civil War that that era of the you know the late sixty uh, mid sixties of eighteen hundred. When we were emancipated, we were given our quote unquote freedom. But let's let's take a second to think about what that freedom actually materialized as. So, newly emancipated, newly freed slaves. You're talking about a demographic that had no education. You're talking about a demographic that didn't know how to read or write. You're yep. talking about a demographic that had no such thing as a savings. Yep. You're talking about a demographic that had nowhere to go. Yep. So my ancestors were giving, giving, giving nothing. They didn't, weren't even given the option to go back home, go back to their roots, follow their family back home. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that option wasn't even given. So when we look at, when we talk about like, you know, uh, equal opportunity and, you know, uh, you know, the right to the pursuit of happiness and all, all our great ethos of, of the Declaration of Independence and all this, that never happened for the black, for the black person. That never happened. And so my ancestors had to struggle hard, struggle very hard to make to make ends meet, starting from nothing. So, and, and at that, they're, they're now living in the community in, in, of which they were enslaved and now trying to shop at the same stores and go to the same places, the same locales, but they know they can't. They know they can't. They know it's not safe out there. So it's a traumatized community. It's this traumatized heritage that we have. So the black culture today, we don't have representation in politics. We don't have rep representation in economics. Let me ask you something. Name me a black-owned car manufacturer. Uh, I, I, I don't know of any, but at the same time, I don't know the demographic makeup of all the car manufacturers. <laughs> Honestly, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, there, there isn't. There isn't. T tell me, tell me right, a black-owned tech company that's competing with Apple or Samsung. Tell me a black one, a black-owned tech company, cell phone. Mm. And I'm in that space too. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I know there are some up and comings, but I don't, mm. that aren't really competing with that, but I don't, yeah. I don't really what know. What about, what about any black owned, uh, grocery store chains like Walmarts and Safeways and, and Big Eagles and all that stuff? Name, name a black right. one. I have no idea, bro. There isn't. Cause there aren't so, any. So the whole point, the whole point I'm trying to make is that we don't own anything in this country. So let me, can I stop you right yes. there? Cause, okay. So again, limited time. We're going to have to do part two, bro. Yeah. We got to, we got to go yeah. deep. Um, we got to go deep. This is a conversation that needs to be had, needs to be spread, needs to be run around. So, um, so, okay. So how, as, 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 as quickly as you can try to put it together yes. for us. So how do, what is, what is the catalyst mm. for turning that corner? Mm. Right. What is the catalyst? Because everybody in the black community is an individual. Mm -hmm. All right. With different talents, with different, just like everybody mm -hmm. else. Right. What is a catalyst? Because, again, I don't believe, regardless of color, that you that giving somebody something. Mm -hmm. For free, essentially, whether it's time, money, whatever it is, mm -hmm. 
that they're going to place enough value on that to take it and run with it. Right. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that's like, you know, if you give a child something free versus them working for it and earning it, they value it more the bike or whatever the story, Mm -hmm. you know? So what do you think is at least a starting point, a catalyst to help turn that around in the midst of (laughs) elites you spoke of earlier and, and the, the, the systems that, are indeed in place, mm. okay, to keep everyone from achieving success, achieving freedom, achieving, you know, financial freedom, achieving winning, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Because if you are achieving success and you are educated and you know what you're doing mm. and you're achieving success and you're winning, you are much harder to control. Yeah. That is your insulation. Right. So what is what do you think is at least a starting point, a catalyst to start turning that corner for the black community? For me, it's education. For me, it's education. What that looks like, what that looks like is having um, educational centers in uh, at risk or impoverished communities because the children need to be cared for. That's that our our future is our youth. That's (laughs) as cliche as that is. So if we can, so if we can get the education at the grassroots level, at a, at a at a at a physical location where people don't have to, um, where people aren't um, uh, excluded because of of you know finances or transportation fees or whatever, you have to bring it to the community. Like that's one of that's one of the key values I've learned in my work, um, you know, across the world and in humanitarian aid work and social development projects is. People can't come to you. You have to go to the people. So education is is statistically and and scientific uh, scientifically empirically demonstrated that lack uh, access to education increases things like job employment, right? Gainful employment. Uh, it increases um, the prefrontal cortex um, development in terms of in terms of our executive functioning and decision making uh, and being able to plan because you know. For people that live malnourished, I mean, how is a child supposed to even compete when they're not even getting the access to the same nutritious food as, as uh, uh, you know, another kid? That means they're yeah. having their brain development is messed up. That means things like their emotional control is jacked up. And I'm using not academic terms here. <laughs> but, okay. but now think about how that psychology does what it does in those communities. Why there's things like violence, domestic abuse drugs, uh, substance abuse, because they already started from a disadvantage and, and, and a less developed uh, uh, sensory cortex and prefrontal cortex. Those all have massive ramifications. So education needs to be accessible with health care for the children, for the youth, all under 18s. It needs to happen. They need to be cared for, they need to be fed, and they need to be educated. That is our only hope to slowly steering this ship um, back, you know, um, because again, let's be honest, the black community at higher levels has failed us. You know, we have guys that make it in the NBA. We have women that have done amazing thing in, in other sports. We have some business leaders that have done success, um, in that field, in that area. Uh, we've had, you know, we've had our successes here and there, but the biggest question is why hasn't there been a, 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 
a homogenous transformation? Why has there not been like a resurrection? And I think that time is coming. I think the Black Renaissance is coming. You know, things like the Black Panther. It's amazing the philosophy that's demonstrated in that um, film. Even though it's even though it's art and drama, the medium that it's provided to show people that you know um, we are all equal and we all need each other. We all need each other. Uh, but yeah, for me. Sticking to that is education in the in the um, uh, impoverished communities and in the lower income communities. You know, call them educational centers, call them whatever, but they need to be state funded um, or federally funded, um, and you know they need to be they need to have everything that a kid needs: computers, you know, access to books, um, you know, music, um, you know, stuff like that for sure. Absolutely. I mean, look at but okay. You're talking about educational centers. I mean, the school systems are there, right? Just look at the flourishing <laughs> results in, in a city like Baltimore. Okay, good. I thought you, know what I'm you were serious for a second. Come on, man. Yes. You should know me better than that and by that now. That is a perfect example of modern day segregation. That's a perfect example. Right. You said it. You said it. I mean, I'm sure there's places in your neck of the woods in South Florida that are like that, you know? Yeah. I mean... So let me, let me ask you something else real quick is, so you, when you talked about, um, when you talked about having some, some people in the black community rise, you know, you have sports stars and you have other people who win and that not very many of them. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that they, I'm not going to say they don't give back. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, some do in some ways, Mm -hmm. um, I don't really, I don't, I don't, I, I hate speaking about things that I don't fully know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm not going, I'm, I can only speculate. All right. But is this, is, is that lack of reinvestment, if you will, in, in their own communities, mm-hmm. right? Is that lack of reinvestment? Um, how do I say this? There's a, is, is that, you have you ever heard people, you know, who say, Hey man, I'm just going to get mine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm going to get mine. That's mm-hmm. it. Right. All about me, all about getting mine. Do you think is, that's what that lack of reinvestment co- continues to permeate that mentality? Mm-hmm. I I think so. I think that is definitely one aspect of it. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll relate this back to our, to our historical consciousness we have as the black community is things like material, material items, mm-hmm. Material items, especially for the slave, represented the smallest but only amount of agency that that individual had. So what I mean by that, that that represented the only semblance of control that they had in their lives. So, but but now we see that though, how it has, um, uh, um, how it has, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? It has transcended over these centuries, over these years to whereby... When you see when you see um, young black uh, 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 sports uh, stars breaking into the 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 professional realms and getting these big paychecks and getting these contracts and getting all this this items all these items and things like that, it 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 represents and I'm not speaking for everybody, but but philosophically it represents the fact that like this is an area of your life that you can control. 
you know, um, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes that go with all of that. Um, but the way we, yeah. the way us, the black community, the way we present ourselves and our dress and our style and our clothes, um, why those things matter to us is because it's saying like, it, it's, it's, it's saying between the lines, you know, this is mine. Like, like I, like I own this part of me. I might not be able to right. to go into the the competitive places of business. I, I might not be able to attend the best schools, but guess what? I can choose what shoes I'm going to wear and, and and how I'm going to dress myself or what car I'm going to drive. Um, so I think it just comes from again. This is loosely speaking, but I think a part of that comes from preserving that identity, like preserving that sense of agency, uh, because then you know we see a lot of we see a lot of people. What they'll do when they when they um, access this part of life, this financial success, is you'll see them bring in their friends and family into that success as well. And part of that is again is this idea of self preservation, um, because on on some level, on some level, it's on some level it is disappointing to have to say that. And this is my opinion that. There is the question mark of, of of apathy of what's the point? What what, what difference am I singularly going to make by reinvesting back into this school or reinvest or creating my own foundation and having this done? Because I mean, there are guys like LeBron James that do great stuff out in Ohio. You know, he's done incredible stuff. You know, um, and and yet it's really hard for us to quantify like what impact is that having. Um, and if he's doing it, if he's able to do it, why are not more people like him getting on board and saying, how can we tackle this on a national level? And for me, right. that goes, that's all talking about the ballot. That's that, that I think you cannot, you can't talk about economy without talking about politics. I, they, I, they have to go hand in hand, right? They have to go yeah, hand in hand. They do. And so, and so I would like to see, I would like to see more of that representation in Congress. I'd like to see more of that reputation, uh, representation at, on Capitol Hill. People that are going to move legislation and move laws that are going to protect and promote the success of not just Black people, but all people of color um, and all of all of all all identities and and whatever. Um, because as long as we have this this system, um, this this psychological construct in our minds that's that's manifested in our systems of there are inf- uh, there are um, people that are more special than other people. There's inferiority built in and systemized um, until those things get addressed from the people that have the voice and platforms to do that. We're always going to have people that are falling behind. We're always going to have that. So, yeah, um, that's yeah, it's, uh, uh, maybe, it's a mess. But. Maybe. It's funny you said LeBron James. I I was just thinking about that myself, and I'm I again I I I don't know, I don't even know what he's done mm-hmm. in Ohio. I don't know what good he's done. I'm sure, you know. I, I hope that he's used his wealth to to help to lift others up, mm-hmm. right? Um, I was I was going to say before I knew that that maybe he should invest in education centers that you're speaking of in, you know. 10 major metro areas, right? In, in, in the black communities, right? A million bucks a piece. It's, it's like, it's like a dollar to him. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? A million bucks a piece, Mm -hmm. 10 different centers, 10 million bucks. I mean, you know what I mean? That could easily be done by somebody like him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's really speaks to the idea of how, what what our moral system is, what is what our ethical system is that we abide by as human beings, because, 
the science is very clear. The research is very clear that if you invest in preventative measures, you actually get more yield on the other side rather than allowing things like crime to perpetuate itself, things like hunger, um, things like inequality to perpetuate itself and then having to deal with the ramifications of those things. Right now we're talking about, you know, clinics, we're talking about the, you know, the expenditures for uh, treatment centers. We're, we're talking about um, the, the expenditures for law enforcement to have to be, be able to um, combat these, these illegal operations, right? So it's a whole thing, but we, the research is so clear that if you invest in the preventative measures, same within your health, right? If you, if you teach people that how about exercise right. and nutrition, that is gonna that is gonna keep them healthier for longer throughout their lives. That's gonna be less of a burden right. on the medical community, right? Rather than letting people do whatever till they're forty and realize all that fast food and soda wasn't so good, and now they're having to tax, right. they're gonna burden the medical facility. You know? So yeah, it's 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 a big mess. It's a real mess. Yeah. So, um, man, I I don't uh, I, I, again. I wish we had more time, but. Unfortunately, we don't. But again, um, maybe maybe the next the next episode we can start off by catching people up and then uh, talking about uh, those those resources you were you were talking about. Yeah, but really. I don't know what you mean. I don't know. I mean, bro. I mean, the, the, there are plenty of liquor stores and weed <laughs> shops and everything else in the black community. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know what else? Do, what else do they yeah. need? Right? Yeah. No. I mean, Amen. explain that. Why my my one recommendation to anybody listening, if you want to just try to sympathize with your 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 black brothers and sisters, watch a movie like Boys in the Hood, and it's it verbatim. I remember that movie. What you just said, man. That's that's yes. Fishborn is one of the best lines of his movies when he talks about that exact thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 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 I want to also encourage people to listen to the music of like Tupac listen to the music of like Marvin Gaye you might they might sound uh, genre wise complete opposites but they're saying the same exact thing just in different ways mm-hmm. and if you really start to articulate what that message is and and kind of shelve the media propaganda that's been pushed on how you want to uh, stereotype black music and black people lit just read the lyrics listen to the lyrics what they're talking about they're talking about unjustified Judicial, extrajudicial killings of unarmed black people. They're talking about drug abuse and the implantment of, of, of drug in, in the lower income communities. They're talking about the the injustices towards them in, in employment opportunities and all that stuff, right? Like, I want people to realize that stuff. Yes, of course, there's you're going to have your whatever pop artists, you know, whatever. But some of those some of those uh, artists, they're using that platform to try to share the story. Um, and try to continue the legacy of the black experience in, in a country that we we were taken to against our own will um, and and weren't given any means to to fend for ourselves. So, yeah, I encourage yeah. people to do that. And, this. and as someone, um, it's funny. I, I one of the first guys I brought into my startup was black, and he's a software engineer, and he lives up there close to close to you. Oh, cool really good friend, good friend of mine now. And we've, we've had these conversations. Bro. Yeah. I mean, we, we have had um, numerous conversations like this. And um, the one thing, you know, the one thing I didn't piece together yeah. and again, I'll admit not piecing it together. It's, it's okay. But the one thing I didn't piece together is the fact 
that going back to, well, I got out of it. Why can't you scenario? Mm -hmm. Right. But there are, look, people can like it or not like it, but the the truth of the matter is there are residual effects. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and he very eloquently, very articulately helped me see that, Mm -hmm. that there are residual effects because I was able to, while listening to him, through my own trauma of different kinds, place myself in the circumstance, mm-hmm. right up here mm-hmm. and say, okay, well, what's, what happens next? What happens, right? How do I grow up? What am I, what options do I have? And on and on and on. And it plays out closely, <laughs> right? There are residual effects yeah. because people are always climbing up to get to, to trying to get to the, to the edge mm-hmm. Right to, to to the surface, if you will, from being buried. Right, if that makes any sense at all as an analogy. Yeah. Um, but Mike, I guess I guess we're gonna have to do a part two. I guess so. I, I, <laughs> I guess we're gonna have to do it, man. If you're if you're open to it, I'm I'm welcome. I, I welcome you to come back and let's continue the conversation um, and hopefully bring some awareness, get some people to wake up, get some people to be inspired to take action. Um, hopefully between your circles and mine, this episode can be spread throughout the black community because I, I really want to go deeper into it next episode, but then also really be solutions focused so that when people listen to it, they are not, they're not saying, okay, well, these, these guys, these guys talked about this stuff. That's great. But they didn't offer any, any meat. Mm. They, they didn't offer any solutions and that's not what the show is about. So I look forward to doing that with you, bro. And I appreciate you being here today. It was a blast. And I'm looking forward to the next one. Thank you, man. Yeah. Thank you, Brad. It was a pleasure. It was, it was great. I think, I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot. So. Awesome. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope that it brought some authentic value into your life. Quite frankly, if you didn't hear any nuggets that were undeniably valuable to you in this episode, then something is wrong with you because you clearly were not listening. Right. So before you go, listen to another episode, pay the toll and then let's roll. What I'm saying, that's new on this episode. Right. Paying the toll. Some people say pay the fee. Some people say I'm just saying pay the toll so we can roll so we can be so I can be a little bit different. I I don't like biting up people's stuff. Right. Share the show. Leave a nice review and help us grow the show so we can inspire the masses. All right. Because remember, you cannot become undeniable if you are uninformed. Make sure you always bless up mine, and I'm out.